example, in CME, like I've identified this gap from the point of view and you explain it. You don't even need to copy paste. You explain the whole thing. Are there other perspectives? Are there like counterbalancing points? And it might give you, it has the whole internet to get a reply to you, right? So you can, you can really test out different prompts. Hello and welcome back to Season 7 of Right Medicine. The rise of artificial intelligence brings both excitement and apprehension across industries. In the world of CME-CPD content creation, many of us are asking how we can use AI to augment our skills as writers, grant strategists or outcome analysts, rather than replace them. And listener Andrea Zimmerman asks, what tools can we use to triangulate the results generated by generative AI? To explore these questions, we welcome back Nuria Nagrau, an independent medical writer working in CME and CPD. We're talking about tangible AI strategies and tools that medical writers and other content creators can use today to ethically enhance their work and create content for health professionals and other audiences. AI offers rich opportunities to support different stages of medical writing, including literature reviews to ideation and from translation to identifying bias. At the same time, we know that potential risks exist. But fortunately, best practices continue to advance. So get ready to challenge your assumptions and expand your mind as we explore how to harness the power of AI in medical writing and CME CPD content creation. And let me know what you think about AI in CME, CPD and in medical writing. If you're on Spotify, let me know your thoughts in the poll. And if you're on another platform, then head over to LinkedIn and answer the question there. Welcome to Write Medicine, where we explore best practices in creating continuing education content for health professionals. I'm Alex Housen, and I'm on a mission to share expert insights and field perspectives on topics like adult learning, content creation techniques, effective formats, and trends in healthcare that influence the type of content we create. Write Medicine is the premier podcast for CME, CPD professionals like you wherever you are in the content creation process. Join us. Before we jump into today's conversation, don't forget that when you subscribe to Write Medicine, you never have to miss an episode. And when you subscribe to the Write Medicine Insider, you'll get access to additional tips, strategies and resources to level up your approach to content creation. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and sign up for my newsletter via the link in the show notes. Another listener, Andrea Zimmerman, who's Senior Director of Accreditation and Compliance at HMP Global, asks, what tools are you using to triangulate the results that you get with generative AI? Can you speak to that just a little bit? Yes. So I had to go see what triangulating results means because <laughs> I, it's not in my wheelhouse. And I saw, and it's from qualitative research. And I was like, aha. Uh -huh, it absolutely is. This yeah. is why. 
so AI, I think, can be good at this, uh, especially AIs such as, uh, well, maybe even ChatGPT, but Bing and uh, Bard, the ones that have access to the internet because they have access to the internet. So you can ask mm -hmm. it, what types of perspectives are there on this topic? So for, and uh, you can say, you can ask, uh, you can, um, for example, in CME, like I've identified this gap from the point of view and you explain it. You don't even need to copy paste. You explain the whole thing. Uh, are there other perspectives? Are there like counterbalancing points? And it might give you, it has the whole internet to get a reply to you, right? So you can, you can really test out different prompts. I think ChatGPT, but also for older stuff and Bing and, and Bard, I think for newer stuff can really help you with that. Another thing is we are only human. Okay, so what humans are good at is we're good at, I think, higher level thinking. <laughs> okay, uh, what machines are good at, machines are good at reading everything really fast and noticing the details, right? So mm -hmm. machines can do the calculations to take us to the moon. Uh, actually, uh, a person did that, but <laughs> machines now do all those calculations, but machines cannot by themselves take us to the moon or to Mars, mm -hmm. right? So it's the same thing. You can give it something that you've written and be like, have I, am I missing something? Mm. And based on its extensive database, it will be able to really quickly read your stuff, compare it to its database and tell you, yes, you're missing this. Or no, you're not missing anything. You've kind of touched on everything. So, and, and you can be more like, am I, could I be having some, uh, uh, city urban bias in this one? And you can go and, and look for urban rural bias. Or can I, am I having, could I be missing some effect of like some, uh, economic disparities or racial disparities? Mm -hmm. Am I, is the information, uh, too, cause sometimes this is important to US relevant? Uh, am I missing mm -hmm. perspective from other countries? So you, because a lot of this is on the internet, then it can actually really be useful to triangulate uh, the results and give you other perspectives. The limitation here is that it only knows what it knows and it only knows what's on the internet. Mm -hmm. It doesn't know what is not on the internet. So you need to be aware of that when you're when you're working <laughs> is that it doesn't know what's not on the internet yeah yeah and even though you're asking those kinds of prompts and asking those kinds of questions you still need to so for instance i can imagine a scenario where i ask a you know a question around what am i missing and it returns let's say half a dozen things that you're missing you also need to be able to discriminate okay yeah that's missing but it's not relevant Yes, I don't really need to include whatever that topic is in in what I'm doing. But the flip side of that is, you know, it can tell you, no, you're fine, you're not missing anything. When actually, and that gets back to context and perspective, and making sure that you are kind of interacting with generative AI in a way that makes sure it has all the information it needs in order to yeah. give you additional information that is going to be valuable and. Again, that comes back to you have to know what you want it to do. You have to be the expert and you have to know your process. 
Yes, and that, you know, what you were saying really reminded me of something that I thought earlier, and and then I forgot, is that we can only do our best, right? So we try <laughs> to be as comprehensive as possible, and, and we try to address uh, all the biases uh, that we can, but we only know what we know, and we don't know what we don't know. So AI does not eliminate this problem, right? So that this just speaks to the importance of having many different stakeholders involved in the project. I, like the most uh, easy example is having patients as part of the author team for clinical trials. It, it is important, right? Because we only know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And if we don't yeah. involve all the possible and important stakeholders in our process, then uh, we cannot guarantee that we are being comprehensive. But those are principles, whether we use AI or not. When we are working as individuals trying to produce something, we can only do our best and we can only have access to the information that we have access to. Now we could, depending on timelines and depending on budget and all of that, say, this this really would benefit from me from us trying to get the perspective of a community doctor or a community nurse or a patient or something like that and then the client might say yes or no because we also work in the real world right so mm -hmm. what what we can do like i feel like we still need to learn how to be good writers and we still need to learn how to create content that is ethical that follows all the best principles in our field. Like the AI cannot know that for us. And, and we are the writers, we are the authors, uh, we are the ones that decide whether this interaction that we're having with the AI is valuable or not. So yes, a lot of the times it, it gives you back junk and you just ignore it. Uh, yes, but, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you ignore the junk and you try and see if you can get a better result. But sometimes, honestly, it's faster to just Google or to go to PubMed. That's what I say for, for doing a literature mm -hmm. review. I do a much faster literature review by myself on PubMed. But if I want a different way of saying things, like there are things that if I try and write a title, it will take me sometimes half an hour and I'll come up with two titles. I ask ChatGPT to write a title and in seconds it gives me 10 titles. And then I say, and then I can like look at that title and see, what do I like about it? What don't I like about it? So there are things uh, that it's worth it to try and get the AI to give you better results. And there are things that are not worth it. And you need to define that for yourself. And the only way you're going to know is if you try it. If you don't try using the tools, you, you, you're not going to know, right? So for me, all of the tools that I've tried and kind of like every now and then I go back and I try again, the the literature search tools, even like asking Google, uh, asking ChatGPT for like a, a a thing to put on PubMed, like search terms to put on PubMed. Uh, no, like I like by myself, I get better. I do better search terms uh, to put on PubMed. Yeah. I search PubMed and I get the the relevant publications like way much faster than trying to get consensus to do it for me or 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 one of the others. But I, the, the reason I know that is because I've tried, right? And one day it might be different. Yeah. The other reason for that is, and I, do we have time for two more questions? Yes. Very short questions. But 
the the reason that that works is because you're also a trained scientist and you you know how to put search terms together you know boolean strings you know how to kind of work that process you know the methodology and so you know one of my questions here is do you see a time when people involved in content creation but but writers in particular in in continuing medical education will be asked to describe their generative AI methodology in the way that perhaps searchers are asked to describe their search methodology, you know, at the beginning of creating a literature review? Maybe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. It is possible. So uh, today, again, I was at this meeting uh, for uh, ISP, ISMPP when they mm-hmm. were their guidelines for using AI. And there was a conversation, uh, there was a question about that. Like, so there's this publications, like, will we have to describe like who interacted with the AI? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so who was, because the, one of the principles is that everything produced by AI needs supervision, needs human supervision, right? So will we have mm-hmm. to describe that in the acknowledgements or in the methods and the disclosures? And the idea was that they think that we'll have very boilerplate language uh, that will be developed uh, eventually. And so, but that is for publications. For, mm-hmm. for medical writers uh, writing in the CME, maybe. Maybe it will be part of the uh, disclosures that this content was produced by a medical writer who used generative AI tools. And maybe even the names of the tools, maybe not. The, the, the thing that I'm thinking is like, there is this principle, which I think it's a very good principle, which is the principle of openness, like being mm-hmm. upfront and saying transparency. Thank you. So I think at least saying that you're using AI is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And because there, there are all these fears, I would default to in the beginning being very clear about how you're using ai to calm down fears right but eventually will it still be needed i don't know so one principle that they said at this thing and and i think it's a good rule of thumb if you would acknowledge a human person for their collaboration you should acknowledge ai would you acknowledge a human person if they corrected typos on your paper no if they helped you write the conclusion, yes. So do you see the difference? So if you would acknowledge a human person for the collaborations, then you should acknowledge AI. And I think that's a, that is a very good principle. I think that's a good principle too. I think it's also important to acknowledge though that in acknowledgements, there is an argument that we should be, especially in publications uh, that are in peer-reviewed journals, we should be acknowledging the people who help us with the typos because, it, you know, they're also contributing labor to the the production of a kind of published piece that is available for consumption by a wider audience. So mm-hmm. that's a conversation for uh, another podcast episode, I think. My final question for today is from uh, Nada Elbarbier. I hope I'm saying your name correctly, Nada, freelance health content writer. Do you think we should be teaching AI in medical school? My answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, there are um, many different... Uh, AI is, is a huge thing. And AI models and machine uh, learning uh, models 
are being used in many different yes. uh, aspects of medicine. They are being used to read imaging and they are being used and they will be implemented more and more. So at least that uh, side of it, uh, med students should know about. Med students should be, I think everyone needs to be AI literate. I think medical writers need to be AI literate, but med students will need to be AI literate. I think AI will help more and more and more. Like one, one aspect that I think AI will help us is in communicating with patients uh, and in translating. And mm, interesting, which is why I really think that everyone that is going to be using these tools for translating our uh, technical jargon into patient facing materials or actually language translation uh, needs to be AI literate because you need to understand the privacy issues and you need to understand mm -hmm. how these models work. You don't need to be a data scientist. You don't need to be designing the models or anything like that, but you need to understand what they do, what they don't do, how they do it. You need to have basic AI literacy. But for medical students, there are so many steps in uh, and aspects of medical uh, care that are now aided by AI that I, mm -hmm. I, I absolutely think that medical doctors uh, should know about all of those aspects and what are uh, the benefits and also what are the things that they should be take into consideration and be cautious about. Uh, this is an analogy that I think is relevant is like in places that don't have malaria, they find it really hard to diagnose malaria. Because usually they don't take the blood, put it on a slide and look at it under the microscope. So sometimes you need to look mm -hmm. at the blood under the microscope to see the parasites. All right. So it is, there are only so many machines are great and they help us diagnose lots of diseases, mm -hmm. but they are not perfect. And some things you still need to look at the blood under the microscope. And the only way you're going to know when is it appropriate to go look at the blood under the microscope is if you understand what these machines that are reading your blood samples can do. So it's the same thing with AI. I don't know what the example is for AI, but I know what the example is for blood samples in someone who's having fever spikes. So that's, I think that is a good analogy. And, and I thank you for that. I think there's an interesting conversation between uh, John White at Medscape and Eric Topol of the translational I forget what it's called, the Scripps Translational Science Institute in San Diego, about the extent of machine learning in medicine. And uh, I think they kind of touch on what some of the things are that, that medics need to know about. Nuria, thank you so much for um, being a technology enthusiast. Oh, you've got something else to say. <laughs> yes. There was one more question that was uh, put on my thread. So it wasn't really a question, it was more of a comment, but I think it would be nice to, to address. So, Oh, go for it, yeah. Uh, Deline, another medical writer, a freelance mm -hmm. medical writer, commented that uh, she thought she had uh, stumped ChatGPT because she asked for updates to a specific protocol and ChatGPT replied something like, I don't have access to the internet, so I cannot give you updates. And, and really, she asked... <laughs> okay, <laughs> she having asked, a bad day there. <laughs> exactly. She has for updates since 2012. So theoretically, ChatGPT could have given her updates yeah, yeah. until 2021, you know, like it right. didn't need to be so, so strict in its answer. And I think that this has to do with the uh, guardrails, 
guardrails uh, that uh, OpenAI is constantly like tweaking and adjusting with ChatGPT, right? So that it doesn't hallucinate. So, so sometimes th these things will happen. So with ChatGPT, so uh, one thing that I did was I put her question to Bard and Bard gave her, gave, gave the answers. So mm -hmm. that is just one thing. Like ChatGPT does, is not supposed to go to the internet. Actually, now it will be able to, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Up to now, <laughs> it hasn't been uh, technically. So it is, there are like very strict guardrails like to prevent it from hallucinating. So it will tell you like, because I don't go to the internet, I cannot give you that answer. <laughs> it was a bit of attitude there, chat GPT. <laughs> there was a time that Bing also was like, Bing could go to the internet. And you're like, who are the experts in this field? And Bing were like, I am just a chatbot. I cannot assess who the experts are. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. Yes, you can. Go, <laughs> go find them for me. <laughs> but uh, okay, so my point is, so Bard could do it. And, and my, mm -hmm. my further point with saying this about Bing is that you can be pushy. These are not people. You can say, you can try and be pushy with it. And, and, and sometimes mm -hmm. you can be smart, okay? So you can figure out what the guardrail is and then ask it in a different way. But if you could, <laughs> who would it be? That was in the beginning, people were doing that. But my point is, like, if you really think that this is going to be faster, you can try and be pushy. Uh, and my second mm -hmm. point is, go try the other models as well. Don't just stop at model number one. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if you've got a little bit of time to sort of play around with, I mean, I quite often play around with ChatGPT and Claude just to kind of see what, with the same questions and the same context, just to see what the difference is. And sometimes the difference is significant in terms of tone and focus and language, you know, and so that's helpful because again, it gives me, it gives me something to push against and figure out, okay, well, what do I want to say and how do I want to say this? in a way that makes sense for whatever it is that I'm working on. You are a technology enthusiast. Uh, you are a teacher, uh, a writer. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insights with listeners of Write Medicine. Thank you, Alex. This was great. Thank you so much for inviting me. A huge thanks to Nuria Negrao for being so generous in sharing her AI expertise and insights with the CME, CPD and medical writing community. With new generative AI tools launching rapidly, it pays for us to stay abreast of responsible ways that we can augment our skills as professionals. I hope you feel inspired to carefully experiment with AI in your own writing workflow after hearing today's forward-focused conversation. And if so, be sure to check the episode notes for links to all the resources mentioned. As always, I appreciate you tuning in to learn and grow together right here on Write Medicine. If the podcast brought you value, may I kindly ask you to share it with peers and colleagues, anyone who might find it relevant. Thanks for listening this week. Next week, Alyssa Bonsignor joins us to talk about digital imprint. What is a digital imprint? I'm hearing you ask. Well, you'll find out here on the Right Medicine Podcast. Until next time, stay curious. <music>